0: Thank mm-hmm. you. what's up everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Unfaith podcast where we just fellowship over Bible topics. We are in the middle of Paul's journey. And to recap last week, um, we recall that that Saul's road to Damascus um where he was kind of knocked down by a bright light and heard the voice of Jesus, you know, asking him why he was persecuting him. And Paul didn't quite know who that voice was until Jesus told him, you know, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And he ended up blinding Saul, making it so he couldn't see and he had to rely on not only other people, but I feel that he he did it also in a way to show him how to rely on, on Jesus.
1: Probably to show him also who's in control, maybe. I mean, Jesus let him see a little power come out.
0: In in kind of a semi-graceful way, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, for what Paul was doing. I mean, he's out there killing Christians, and now he's blind.
0: Right. So he blinded him until he arrived in Damascus where he was prayed for and, and the scales over his eyes fell off. And it was then that he proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah, and he began teaching it. well, this confused some of the Jewish hearers because they knew Saul to be like we talked about very zealous for the for the law so when he started proclaiming and teaching that Jesus was in fact the Messiah, they got really confused. they were like you know the last we heard you know you you hated the name of Jesus, and now you're you know, proclaiming that he is, in fact, the Messiah. What's going on? So after a bit, we read that Saul did leave Damascus for Arabia. You know, it, it wasn't stated kind of how long he was in Damascus for his first trip, but he did leave. He went to Arabia where he spent some time there before returning to Damascus, where we read that he started preaching boldly, and his preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus, you know, they couldn't argue his proof of Jesus being the Messiah, but they were still stirred up quite a bit, which led to them plotting against Saul. They plotted to kill him. So they watched him day and night, waiting for their opportunity to take him out, but they didn't know that Saul was Told about their plot. So he was warned ahead of time. So in the middle of a night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall, where he then made his his journey to Jerusalem. And that's kind of where we left off and where we can pick back up again today in Acts 9.26 through 31. I think it's
1: funny, too, what you mentioned there. You hear of So we think of Paul as being so powerful and uh, preaching powerfully and, you know, showing signs and miracles and, you know, Paul's up on this pedestal for, for a lot of us that, you know, he had so much influence over what's the New Testament now. But Paul constantly needed help. He wasn't out there alone. He didn't make it out of Damascus by himself. Right. He needed the people that knew what were going on. He needed the people that knew how to sneak him out of Damascus. He needed people to help get him down to Jerusalem. So he wasn't some Lone Ranger Christian out there. He always had help. Right. So the gospel um, was spoken powerfully through him, but it wouldn't have happened without the help of these unnamed people that that helped him get places.
0: Well, and I think... You know how in, in, every, in every place, everybody has a part. Everybody has a part in the body of Christ. And that was their part. You know, and it, it was easy for, oh, maybe not easy, but it, Paul had that kind of charisma about him that when he spoke, people would listen, whether it be um, about the Jewish law or about Jesus being the Messiah. Even though it upset a lot of the Jewish followers, they were listening. Mm-hmm. It caught their attention. Why? Because uh, of his, what's the word I'm looking for? It's just that thing about him right. from what I take, from what I take from it.
1: Well, it's kind of, you think of the, uh, the people, the reason they listened to Jesus um, say at the end of the Sermon on the Mount that we looked at, uh, the people marveled that Jesus spoke with such authority mm-hmm. and not as the teachers of the law. Well, I think that kind of authority was is passed down, that type of authority that Jesus had with the Holy Spirit in you. For sure, Paul brought it up, and he spoke with power, it says all over the place about the gospel. And I think we can too. I think when we know without a doubt that God is the one sending us out and that he's in charge of making sure things work and they happen, then we also can speak powerfully about the gospel, and about Jesus. So I think that authority that people are amazed that Jesus has, he gives to us to spread his word.
0: And it's just amazing how he knows who to use and how to use them, far beyond the potential that we even know we have. And I can attest to that too. There, there's things that, um, there are situations that God put me in that I never would have even thought. That I would either be in or even prepared to be in,
1: <laughs> or make it out of,
0: or make it out <laughs> of. But from what I kind of take away from it, and this is just the image that that I paint in my own mind, is um, that's why Paul, you know, formally saw, um, but Paul became such a, a a benchmark, and that God used him for such a benchmark to. Um, kind of live out and fulfill that that gospel after Jesus.
1: Yeah. And, of course, the other apostles uh, were busy in their own rights as well. Uh, Think of the apostle John. You know, Paul wrote a whole bunch of stuff and had a lot of influence on other parts that were written, but so did John. I mean, he wrote his letters, he wrote his gospel, he wrote the book of Revelation, so... The uh the other apostles were also quite busy and chances are Peter's gift was not writing. Uh, but it seems some of the others interviewed him to know what was what was going on.
0: Yeah, he still played a big part, although he didn't do much of the writing. Yeah, if any.
1: And there's some of us, you know, that probably wouldn't do <laughs> the writing or so. I mean, I can come up with titles for books, but I need someone else to write it. <laughs>
0: Just like the podcast, we, we lean on Steve to come up with all the titles. Like, What do we call this one? And then we'll sit here for, you know, a, a while thinking about it. Right.
1: And you we reject t- all 300 of the titles that I send in.
2: In all fairness, they are a little out there, Steve.
0: Fine. But three, <laughs> 301 is the kick right there. 301 is always the key. Okay. 301. So from now on, he's just going to start shooting off. Random. Right. I have to get I just got to get to 301. I I just got to get to 301. (laughs) We'll go with the seventh. (laughs) Well, let's continue on in Acts. Uh, We're going to start at 926 and read through uh, verse 31 and see what we can come up with on, on some points there. So starting in Acts 26, or Acts 926, I'm sorry. When he came to Jerusalem... He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple.
1: And who would?
0: Right. Because they knew Saul had a reputation.
1: Well, not only that. I mean, these people have relatives,
0: right? Yeah. One of the chances, maybe
1: they're, maybe they're a brother, maybe they're a father, maybe some relative of theirs was thrown in jail or, or killed or something because of Paul coming through. So... You see this guy that you've seen because now he's in Jerusalem. That's mm-hmm. where he, you know, was stationed, so to say, to start with at the beginning of this, and uh, and yeah, you can't just trust someone uh, that has been doing otherwise. You know, who will, for all we know, this is a trick for you to infiltrate the ranks of Christians and wipe them out.
0: Right. Well, and to them, this seems like an overnight transition. Which yeah. I guess in a way it was, but three,
1: three years is not that long.
0: No, but the overnight transition, as far as Saul going through yeah. the road to Damascus, um, hearing from Jesus, seeing the light, um, being blinded all the way to being able to see again, that transition for Saul was kind of quick. But for other people to see that transition in Saul, it wasn't an overnight process.
1: Well, and they so haven't, even they haven't three seen years, him either. Right? Yeah, so right. even
0: three years into Saul being a believer and a follower of Jesus, they, they still sure. have the, the, the reputation in mind of, right. of what Saul was doing.
1: Well, if he threw my parents in jail, I would remember him in three years. Oh,
0: yeah.
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: And then, uh, so I can understand how they're very, very hesitant and, and afraid. They're not knowing, is this a game? Are you trying to trick us? Yeah. What's going on?
1: You think we see that in our day? I mean, have we seen celebrities that come out and say, "I'm all for Jesus"? Yeah, and you're just not—you're not buying it, and often you're not buying it for good reason, because mm-hmm. five years later they're
0: could have just been a publicity stunt or, or something. Yeah,
1: I mean, you hate it. You want them to for real be for Jesus, uh, but we also remember the the parable of the sower. You know, there are some that sprout up quickly, but as soon as the trials of life come up, they're gone.
0: Well, and even to take it off of, you know, such a big stage from celebrities, I've seen it in in my own home. You know, I've seen it in my own home where um, it's it's kind of like, uh, do you really believe or are you just trying to say mm-hmm. you do to get yourself out of something? Because that's what was kind of the the theme, you know, pray to God when you need to pray to God and then once once you get over that that hump you're like oh no i did that so even for like her and my family it's like are, are you really coming to church because you believe or or are you just doing it because i asked you to come like you have all these other years
2: yeah there's a big difference from dragging someone to church as opposed to someone like wanting to go and even initiating it or leading you know the pack to go
0: well, and then we go through the obstacles of okay, now you're you're hearing the word. Are you living it? And even even though I think today that's that's still not a uh, something I can claim victory on, um, but they are kind of obstacles which I can relate to Saul of, you know, they're okay. So they're hearing that that Saul, who is soon going to be Paul, proclaim Jesus as the Messiah, and start preaching it and following it and proclaiming it to those around him. But they're still hesitant of, okay, well, you know this word now, but are you you really living it? Because we don't know. We haven't been with you for the last three years. And now here you are, you just show up, and you're trying to join the disciples. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, so I can see how they're a little standoffish here. But continuing on in in verse 27, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. In verse 29, we continue, he talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So we see that that theme hasn't changed just because he moved locations. They tried to kill him in Damascus, they plotted to kill him, so then they had to remove him from Damascus, through a hole in the wall, take him to Jerusalem. He speaks boldly again in Jerusalem. So he's standing firm. It seems like he's standing firm on what he's preaching, showing that he truly believes that Jesus is the Messiah, right? But just because he moves locations doesn't make him more accepted. They're still not accepting... um, what he's preaching and then he's, he's, especially in the, uh, the, the, the Jewish communities, they, I'm sure knew Paul, even the the Hellenistic Jews, they knew Paul and now, or they knew of Saul, excuse me. Um, and now that he's kind of switched sides mm. in their mind or in their point of view, they're not happy. Mm-mm. So now it seems like there's kind of a theme where everywhere he's going to preach boldly they're trying to kill him. They're trying to take him out. And to well, me, what that that looks like is just like this day and age, when you're starting to do what God called you to do, you're gonna hit trials. You're gonna hit some obstacles. Now they may not be on the the scale of what what Saul was going through. You know, I don't know how many people are gonna try and kill us for But we may act like they're on that scale. We might.
2: Well my question is, are they trying to kill him because he's preaching the word or are they trying to kill him because of all the things that he did to them and their people, you know, all the the killing and all of that for them once preaching or what have you.
0: Well, so in 29, it says he talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. So I think that's saying, you know, they're trying to kill him because he, they're, he's, they're perceiving that he's preaching against their law. He's, he's, Preaching against the Jewish law because they don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah.
1: What's funny too, what Tiffany brings up, this doesn't say that any of the Christians wanted to off him. But she's got a good question. I mean, we don't we don't know that there weren't some that were like, We gotta get rid of this guy because he's dangerous for us and now he's trying to come in and out of our church. We don't know what this Barnabas guy is doing, letting him in and out. I mean my family's not safe around this guy. What are we going to do?
2: Yeah, one way or another.
1: And also is So So Paul was zealous, the word used often for him and this, which sometimes I think that could be a euphemism uh, for someone that irritates everybody to death um, at best, maybe. I don't know that his... Sometimes I wonder if his preaching style uh, wasn't also something that would just tick people off.
2: Right, because it says that he was boldly.
1: Yeah. Again, so, euphemism.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that could mean a lot of things forcefully. <laughs> yeah. <I> mean, <laughs> Throwing it down your throat.
1: Because I wonder, you know, when we see he gets paired up with uh, with Barnabas, and you think, did he need this son of encouragement to sort of help figure out how, look, maybe you should encourage some of these people right. to believe <laughs> instead of telling them that they're Be idiots if they don't.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't doubt that there was, even though it's not noted about Christians going after or having the the conversation or thought of taking out Saul. Um, I don't I don't doubt that there was the case. Yeah. Now that we're talking about it, I'm sure there was. Yeah. I don't know how many of them actually <laughs> acted upon it, but I'm sure the thought was going through their mind. Yeah. If I were to just put myself in their shoes, like, yeah, you're sure. right. My maybe my family's not safe around this guy. He's been known.
1: Right. He's a turncoat. Maybe he's a double agent. We don't know.
0: Yeah. He's been known to persecute those. And then continuing um, the last verse here, we're going to talk about in 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So is that kind of showing that he he traveled a little bit more there. Maybe.
1: I wonder if some of this isn't sort of... So the dispersion of the Jews out of Jerusalem, for which Paul was a lot responsible for. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were literally running from Paul and his group that were coming after them. So they're getting out of Jerusalem because people like Paul were coming after them. So I think that alone sent the gospel out to these towns because I can't find anywhere where anyone thinks that Paul traveled through all those places before coming to Jerusalem there. And those aren't considered part of Arabia, really. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe that verse is just sort of showing the uh, unexpected connection of the fact that someone like Saul persecuting the church forced people to run out of it, forced people to get out of Jerusalem to try to be safe, and the gospel spread, and churches were created in all those areas.
0: So would you say maybe he wasn't in these certain areas preaching, but he had a lot to do with... yeah. The, the the vast growth of those churches in those areas. Yeah,
1: because those areas are not on the way from Damascus to Jerusalem or really on the way from Damascus to, well, where I think he's talking about Arabia, to what we call Arabia <laughs> anyway. Uh, so I, I just I haven't found anyone that thinks he went through those areas before going to Jerusalem.
0: I wonder if there's a map somewhere. And I'm sure we can find there's it. There's lots of Paul's to... maps. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, I've never looked, but I'm sure there's there's a map that shows kind of his journey and where he went from A to B to C to D.
1: Yeah. As a matter of fact, it's in the back of many, many Bibles and even other books.
0: Let's look at that real quick and just see.
1: So generally what that first map that you're looking at sort of shows his early journeys, Um. Because they don't really call what he's done yet a missionary journey. Mm. When we get to chapter 13, is really where everybody starts talking about Paul's missions, his first, second, and third missions, and then he's sent to Rome as his final sort of go about.
0: You know what's odd too is I'm looking, and if I'm looking at this right, okay, he he you can see him kind of going. In, in somewhat of a straight shot back and forth up mm-hmm. and down, north to south. But he'll he'll travel through land, but then he backtracks the same route but through the water.
1: Because he keeps keeps getting kicked out.
0: <laughs> so he, he can't go he can't, he can't go, go back bad. the way that he came. He has to right. go through water to get him. back to the top here. And
1: he knows how people are looking for him because that's what he used to do. Uh. It's like I can't go the same route, they're gonna be looking for me.
0: So he almost even knew the ways to avoid because all he had to do was think, okay, where would I go? What he would have done, exactly.
1: And so in that section we just looked at, we were introduced to Barnabas. We haven't really said a lot about Barnabas yet, but we actually first see him earlier in the book of Acts.
0: And we had to backtrack that a little bit because we thought at first. Just reading in, not not the entirety of Acts, but just reading into Paul's journey, that this was the first time we were introduced to Barnabas. But you're right; after some digging, we went and traced it back to what Acts four thirty four.
1: Yeah, you know, and then starting there uh, in Acts four, they're describing the church in Jerusalem and how they lived. So starting at Acts 4.34, it says there was not a needy person among them, among the Christians. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And, you know, to us, it doesn't sound like that much because we buy and sell houses and move up into a nicer house by selling the one we got and stuff like that. Uh, Sometimes we inherit houses is how we're able to have a house or something. And certainly the idea of inheritance with property and houses for the Jews was a giant thing. I mean, even that year of Jubilee that happened every 50 years, property was supposed to return back to the family that it had been given to when they entered the land at that point. So the land stayed with the family from the time that Joshua came into the land and it was parceled out to everybody. So it was a big deal for the Jews to sell their land and bring the money in to put it at the apostles' feet.
0: So what happens when it got returned back? When you say returned back does it, to the families, does that mean that, the like you were just saying, that it was a big deal for them to sell the land, but then 50 years it came back to the family? What if it was occupied by somebody else who would? They
1: understood that, so that had to be in the documents um, itself.
0: So when you buy land back then, you signed a 50-year lease. Yeah. It It was really
1: a lease, yeah, if it wasn't your... Which is sort of what is explained in the Old Testament more. I don't know 100% how it worked, but in the year Jubilee, the land went back to the family.
2: Wow.
0: That's pretty interesting. Yeah. So talking about Barnabas for a second, so he was, when he's introduced, he's already a follower of Jesus, right?
1: Or is he? He is. I mean, it doesn't flat out say it, but he may have been one of the 3,000 that came to belief at the day of Pentecost, a very early believer, which is interesting. He's a Levite. So the Levites were the workers in the temple. Um, the, the the high priest, you know, was also a Levite, but specifically from the line of Aaron, Moses' brother. So as a Levite, he very well knew the law. He was very much um, a Jew <laughs> under the law, working in the temple, you know, whenever his time came. Well, so that's interesting, too. The Levites didn't have land. I hadn't thought of that. They didn't have cities anyway. They were given places to live within other cities. The Levites weren't given a section of Israel. They lived amongst all the rest of the tribe. So now all of a sudden this makes less sense to me that he had a field. I guess he could have a field, but not. I'm not sure how that works all of a sudden. Sorry, I muddied the waters here. No,
0: not at all, because this (laughs) is good, because now I'm curious, too. Now I'm curious, too. I wonder if that's something we should look into.
1: Yeah, like how the Levites acquired land. Um, Yeah, I mean, I guess within the cities, the Levites might have been given parcels of land, you know, because the Levites were dispersed into all the different uh, tribes' land that were given to them. So perhaps within these cities that they lived, they each got little parcels of land.
0: So they were they were they had only what they were allotted or what they were given.
1: So when Joshua came okay. into the Promised Land with all the uh, tribes, I remember the twelve tribes come from Jacob, the sons of Jacob. Right. Now the tribes were interesting. Uh, Because there's 12 tribes, yet we're sitting here saying the Levites don't get anything. You're like, well, how come there's not just 11 tribes? Because Joseph, his section, I guess, got split up between his two sons instead of to him. So that's Manasseh and Ephraim Mm -hmm. became two of the groups that got land instead of the Levites. The Levites didn't get a parcel of land when they came in, but Joseph's kids Ephraim and Manasseh got sections and if we want to confuse it even more there were some on the other side of the Jordan <laughs> so that It wasn't like,
2: confusing enough
1: Right right so that like Manasseh I believe is cut in two and part of it is on one side of the Jordan and parts on the other and and they were separate but anyway all of that there's a big connection to land uh, with the Jewish people including going all the way back to what was allotted uh, them once they first got into the promised land. Sorry, that was our introduction to um, Barnabas, whom, as we already know, becomes a important piece of Paul's missionary
0: journeys. Well, and he is too, and that's why I wonder if there's more of a backstory on Barnabas, which I don't think there is. We, we get interested in introduced to him kind of officially for the first time back in 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 acts four but i'm really curious now as to when we're talking about that he was already a believer Mm -hmm. and a follower of jesus when he was introduced to saul i wonder what his backstory is if he was a part of one of the three thousand that um became a believer while jesus was roaming the earth but I always get kind of curious about beforehand and we don't always get that story on certain people, but I feel like if they're big enough, if they played a big enough role to, to be written in the Bible, I get curious about their backstory. Like, and we only hear different pieces. So we hear kind of what, what Saul's backstory is and then his transition and then kind of what he did with that afterward. Um, but we don't necessarily get it on other right. um, what I like to call kind of heavy hitters of the Bible.
1: Well, and it's interesting too. So it says that uh, Barnabas was from Cyprus, uh, but he was a Levite. So, I mean, that in of itself was he, if he's a Lev- Levite from Cyprus, he's got a long way to go to take his turn at the temple. Um, whenever that work is occurring, um, I mean it seems like there's more to all of this that he's not uh, he's not natively a Jerusalem, you know he's not natively living there in Jerusalem. We don't know when he got there. right. We don't know like you were saying, we don't know if maybe he was around while while Jesus was walking the earth or if he just believed at uh, Pentecost or somewhere early on, but he was already considered a big name in the church. At the time that he uh, gave his money, you know, and it it doesn't say this, but perhaps he was the reason Ananias and Sapphira wanted to give their, sell their land and look good and give money. You know, we want to look good like Barnabas. So where we ended at the end of nine is really him. You know, they're noting. That the Hellenists in Jerusalem wanted to kill him, and so the other believers in uh, Jerusalem again, just like in Damascus, you know, if it if Paul didn't have friends watching out for him, I mean, he wouldn't have made it out of Damascus. He's still got people watching out for him in Jerusalem. So he makes it out to Jerusalem. They walk him down to Caesarea, and it. This is just a side note. For me, it's always hard reading the Bible where they keep saying down, we're, taking, we're going down to this, that, and the other. In the U.S., or at least in my way of thinking, when somebody says down, they mean we're going south. Yeah. But when they talk in the Bible, because Jerusalem was, is like a high point in Israel, so they're literally just talking about leaving Jerusalem and going down like to the plain to where it's flat. Oh, okay. <laughs> so so going down, like in this case, well Caesarea is north mm-hmm. of uh of Jerusalem. But uh, they say going down because they're leaving the mount that uh Jerusalem's on and and going down. So
2: That makes sense. Yeah.
0: So I would they, think about it the same way though. Yeah. Because we live down, in
1: America, we say down, you know, or going, going up south to right. We're going down to New Mexico. We go
0: up to Wyoming. Or if we're going east and west, we'll say over. (laughs) We went over to, or we're heading over to Florida. Heading over to California. Heading heading down to Texas. Yeah. Up to Nebraska. I'm going to use Nebraska just because that's what's playing in the background here.
1: Oh, interesting.
2: (laughs) Go Huskers.
1: So anyway... They get him as far as Caesarea, and Caesarea, he doesn't say this, but he hops a boat to go to Tarsus, I'm sure. Uh, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he takes other transportation across the land to get to Tarsus. But uh, So Paul goes back to where he's from after Jerusalem.
0: Do we have any coverage on what what he did while he was in Tarsus?
1: I haven't found anything. We have, like you were Getting over to the chapter 11 talks about, you know, the fact that, uh, that Barnabas goes and finds him in Tarsus. Right. Okay. But those who put
0: timelines
1: together for the Bible.
0: You said he was in Tarsus for about three years probably well, estimated.
1: from all the stuff that I was reading and watching, Uh, An estimate of three years is what they gave to Arabia. Oh, okay. And then they give an estimate of seven years that he might have been in Tarsus before uh, Barnabas goes and finds him, which is in Acts 11, starting at verse 19.
0: So I wonder, that's a long time to be somewhere and not have much noted on it, but we don't have much noted on what happened in Arabia either. But then we can kind of guesstimate that he spent some time in prayer over there and in, in uh, meditation and, and right. reflection of his current life events. Well, Because that's, that's a-, a huge transition. I, I can see living your life one way for so long and then being kind of uh, headstrong and, and the word that comes up is zealous for so long and then just in a split second hearing the voice of Jesus in your whole world, everything you thought you knew is flipped upside down. So I can see him being in Arabia to kind of uh, escape all the chaos and really meditate on what God has for him and what Jesus is directing him to do. And that again, that's just kind of my own understanding of it and my perception.
1: I guess some of what I was thinking, um, you know, we got 30 years of Jesus' life that, Well, not full 30 years. We see flashes of his childhood. So the Bible tells us what we need to know, and we as people like to theorize. um,
0: um, We love to get in on what we want to know.
1: Yeah, and we love to...
0: um, And we will spend hours researching something we want to know and not need to know and then never find it.
1: And usually those things we're researching have to do with some sort of conspiracy theory. So um but yeah we like to theorize on on areas we don't know, but the Bible has told us what we need to know. So what whatever um whatever he was doing in Tarsus, I mean we at least think he was maturing, you know, in his Christianity. Because you know, and maybe that's true of a lot of us. We're you First, come to faith, and everything is brand new, and your whole world has changed, and you want to tell people. I mean, I remember telling people when I was first believing, and I was telling them, Oh, that's this great thing, and the Holy Spirit is there, and you can feel it. And, you know, and my friends were like, Steve, you're wigging me out. Okay. Like, <laughs> too much, too soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I could just see that with Paul as well. You know, he's, you know, and maybe why he gets, keep, gets keep, keeps getting kicked out of places, you know, because. His zealousness, uh, I don't know, I don't know if it's close to violence or what, but, you know, he was out throwing people in jail and stuff before. And so now that he's turned to the other side, he might be saying the same thing. He might have been a turn and burn preacher, you know, mm. he had to calm that down a little bit while he was in Tarsus.
0: Yeah, and I think you're right, too, if we we're going to go back to, you know, why what he was doing in Arabia Um As you said, well, he could have been over there maturing into his Christianity. And I wonder if God has, you know, something special in mind when it came to Arabia, because we did look back into it over um, a little bit of research, some commentary, and there was kind of a theme of a lot of people that, that God used went to Arabia prior to their preaching. Well, and
1: by Arabia, we're just saying to another place, like a desert. Like even Jesus went out into the desert for 40 days Mm-hmm. before his ministry started. Right. So yeah, a lot of, God sort of sends a lot of people out to be in the desert place or be somewhere on their own to get matured.
0: And it makes so much sense to, to be prepared like that yeah. because you get sent out into the middle of nowhere by yourself. Right. No, no noise, no chaos, no, um, n- nothing going on around you. Just you and Jesus, you and God right there right in the middle of nowhere. And, in the desert too. You got to think you're not just in the middle of a peaceful place where you can drown out all the noise that you're in the middle of the desert. Right. So not only is that a, a, a place that you're by yourself where you can really meditate on what, what God is speaking to you. But I feel like that's a place of trial too. Yeah, a place where you really need to be reliant. You got to focus I've in the got. middle of the desert, no water. Mm-hmm. It's hot. And you know, we're, we're in Colorado, so hot here isn't necessarily hot in the middle of an Arabian desert or any other desert for that matter, you know. So I can only imagine. I, I don't know if I'd be able to survive <laughs> in the middle of, you know, 115 degree weather and only a limited amount of water. And I'd, I'd, I'd be, uh I think I'd be a little impatient. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I'd pass that test. Like, God, come on. I'm I'm burning here. What I'm not what, sure that's the word I would use. Me? What?
2: <laughs> impatient.
0: I would. I think I'd get impatient. Like, I think all right, be what do you have? angry? <laughs> what do you have for me? Mm. Yeah. Just give it to me and get me out of here.
2: <laughs> yep. It, heat changes people. That's Let's just true. put it that way. <laughs> that's you could either use it to focus on, you know, to narrow down your focus on what's important or It can just really distract you from what's important.
0: I don't know if heat changes people rather than heat changes like us people that aren't prone to that kind of heat. You know, you got somebody who who lives in uh, uh, the middle of a desert. They're probably used to it. I would imagine. I don't know. Maybe one day we'll interview somebody who lives in the Arabian desert.
1: Well, there's some idea of being able to deal better with what you've always known, I'm sure. Um, So the main point of this would be God sending you into something you don't know. Right, right. To help you be able to mature and to help you focus on Him, really. Exactly. So there are people that wouldn't want to come to Colorado just because they say it's too cold. Yeah, Yeah. So, um, anything different? I guess is is what it is. Anything to force you to uh, actually pay attention to God. I feel like
2: that's be. a common theme, right? God's gonna use whatever He can to get your attention. Yeah.
0: Use well, yeah, everything, everything, even the things that we perceive as, you know, a trial or um, a, something negative. You know, a negative impact or even a tragic event can be used, and God can and will use it for His glory. Mm-hmm. And I think it takes a while for us to realize that yeah. and to get into that mindset, and we tend to focus on the, the the event rather than what God is doing in the midst of that event.
1: Yeah, and sort of the other side of it, what we might do as we focus on the event if we're unhappy about the event, we can end up being focused on the whys: why God? Why did this happen? Why are you putting me here? Why would you? I mean, and we—you can just keep digging, in your whys, you know.
0: And I don't see that much with with Paul. No, it's not noted that I mean, he really goes against. They're not. I don't want to say goes against, but questions what God's doing.
1: No, he immediately says, "Lord, who are you?" Lord, when he hears the voice, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you persecute.
0: Well, even as we get into get in further into Paul's journey and Paul's story, it, I don't think we're going to see much of any question. But I think again that has a lot to do with some of these events where he goes to another place. And we don't hear anything about it. I think that's where you said, you know, maybe he was maturing into his Christianity in that place, and that's where we get the new Paul. And we get, then that, that's how we get the, uh, the obedience that he has for God. And not only that, he, his reliance on God too, because not to jump too far ahead, but I mean, throughout Paul's journey, he's getting locked up left and right. And in, instead of wondering, okay, well, that didn't go as planned. If I was doing what I was supposed to be doing or you were really with me, mm-hmm. why am I in a jail cell? But he never once questioned that. To my understanding, he stayed faithful. He stayed, I mean, there, there's, there's going to be a verse we're going to get into down the road where he's in prison and he's worshiping. In prison, he, he's he's singing uh, hymns. He's and I think that's where the angels come and and bust him out. But and we're talking, you know, they're 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 not uh, subtle about it. But they're walking right past guards. Yeah, who aren't asleep. They're not in any trance. They he just walks right by them. Right, and goes unnoticed.
1: Don't, does he wave his hand and say, "You will let me go"?
0: Maybe. Okay. It's not noted, but I mean, we can let your imagination run a little wild, right?
1: It's not a lot of imagination for me to come up with a Jedi mind trick. Doesn't take
0: much, huh? But it's that's a Harry that's Potter cloak on. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> the invisibility. That's but that's that's way down the line of of Paul's journey. If we go back and we look at the church in Antioch in uh, eleven nineteen. Why did we go back to 11? (laughs) Because
1: it fills us in on uh, how uh, Paul ends up getting into Antioch or even uh, Barnabas. I started
0: reading it and I'm like, wait, that's bringing Stephen back.
1: Well, but that's what we talked about earlier, right? Stephen is the one who was stoned and Paul was there. So, you know, Paul was on the wrong side. Saul, of course, at that time was on the wrong side of the stoning of Stephen. He's the one taking the cloaks so the guys that are actually throwing the rocks don't get blood all over the outside of their clothes. Um, And he's looking over the cloaks while they're doing that and it even says, I forget which chapter, but earlier in Acts that uh, Paul was in agreement with that. So he had, you know, I don't know if it's a leadership role or not. But it seems like he didn't have to get his hands dirty. Mm -hmm. You know, he's just holding their coats so they don't get dirty. Uh, But he's not the one slinging the rocks. So he's, to me, in our culture anyway, that means he's over the guys that are slinging the rocks. Right. (laughs) The people that are actually doing the work um, is who he's over.
0: Well, and we can see his opinion mattered too. What he supported, what he didn't was a huge deal. Right. So when they asked him, Do you support this? And he says, Yes that there's something to show for his green light.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, he was the one that went to the leaders and got paperwork that said, yeah, you're uh, absolutely legal for you to go out and hunt down these Christians and uh, bring them back or kill them or whatever you got to do. Just distinguish them. Mm. So that wasn't the right word, by the way. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's a, that's why we end up going then to look at, we're looking here in, in 11 because it fills us in sort of on how Paul and Barnabas get back together. Of course, he's still Saul. And from what I was looking at too, Paul is kind of like just his Roman name rather than it being a big name change. Given right. So
0: there was his, his Hebrew name and his Roman name, but yeah. the, the change takes place because of his reputation with one over another.
1: But I wonder too, I mean, like for... People outside of the Jewish community in Tarsus? Was he always known as Paul? I don't know.
0: Mm. That's something That's to a think good about. Question. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because, of course, he was named after the first king of Israel, Saul.
0: Mm. So I wonder if you're right there. I don't know. If it has something to do with These just, just the area.
1: Thoughts that fly in my head as we're talking.
0: <laughs> You're not the only one. When I'm reading the Bible, I, there's so many questions that pop up, and not all of them can be answered. But again, that goes back to you know what we were talking about, how the Bible gives us only what we need to know mm-hmm. on these events. But that doesn't mean our curiosity doesn't run wild, and I'm sure we're not the only ones. I can bet we're not the only ones that... Um, I have an imagine, imagination that runs wild when we start thinking of questions because that's just our human nature. We want to know. Right. We want to know the facts on everything and we're not always given that because if we were given everything, where would faith and trust come into play?
1: Yeah, and, and like you mentioned our our human nature, also we automatically put ourselves in situations, you know, and of course we like to think of ourselves as being people that would do the right thing and we would stand up and do all this, that, and the other.
2: Yeah, uh, but those are different times. <laughs>
1: well, it's also different today, right? Yeah. I mean, there's been plenty of times that uh, I would have hoped I would have reacted better than I did right? Uh, for something. but um,
2: I just feel like back in the day, they handled things a little bit harsher. <laughs> than nowadays where there's a little bit more leniency. Um, you have that freedom of speech, whereas, you know, you would get stoned for being Christian. You know what I mean? Like back in the day. Back so in the it's day, like yeah. it's hard for people to wanna to speak up because they don't want to die over their opinion.
1: Well, also I guess much like today in Israel, in Israel of uh Saul and Paul's day. Um, they had to defend Israel because they're surrounded by enemies everywhere. Yeah. So, you know, freedom of speech can turn into a riot and in a hurry, I guess. And it seems like that's what they were worried about with Jesus as well. That uh, uh, certainly the Romans, you know, were worried uh, because it happened. On a regular basis, you know you even see in like the book of Maccabees uh the Maccabean revolutionaries that uh came against Rome and stuff that uh it was it was real, you know, so yeah, so with all that burning underneath, you know you had the two sides you had these uh the Jews like Paul the Pharisees that were not necessarily specifically of it's hard to deal with. The religion of their day wasn't just a belief in God and trusting in that. It went all into all the culture. Mm-hmm. Everything they did was part of what we would consider Judaism. you know. Mm. And so you've got those the political even sides that are going on where the Pharisees are so staunchly against being ruled by the Romans And, uh, the Romans there. So anyhow, all of that thrown together, yeah, (laughs) being able to speak freely, uh, wasn't looked at, wasn't thought of anything good from either side, from the Roman side, from the Jewish side, speaking freely, uh, could get either one of them
0: in trouble.
2: Yeah.
0: Let's take a moment. Before we, um, unfortunately, have to end the episode, let's take a moment to look over Acts 22, where we get to see that Paul gets to reflect on his time in Jerusalem and where, where Jesus speaks to him. We read that he, as he's in prayer, he kind of falls into this trance, and Jesus speaks to him, telling him that while he's in Jerusalem, what he's going to talk about and what he's going to teach is not going to be accepted. So we we already kind of got to see that it wasn't accepted and that the even the Hellenistic Jews were um, trying to kill him and wouldn't take his message in. Um, we get to see that Jesus even warns, warns him mm-hmm. that it's not going to be accepted and that in, all in all... Jesus tells him, you need to get out of there. Mm-hmm. Like, your time here was very short. Almost like, to me, it's like Jesus telling him, look, I, I brought you here to get away from where you were at, but you weren't supposed to stay here as long as you have. You need to get out of here.
1: Yeah, and reading that section, um, starting Acts twenty two seventeen, I think it's pretty pretty good to read it. When I had returned to Jerusalem, Paul says... And was praying in the temple, I fell in a trance and saw him, Jesus, saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me, Jesus flat out saying, get out. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that, that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And we know that uh, Jesus had told Ananias, who had to pray for Paul for the scales to come off his eyes, Mm -hmm. that Jesus had told Ananias, that Paul was his chosen instrument to take uh, the gospel to the Gentiles and that Paul would suffer many things to spread that word. So yeah, Jesus again and again is directly uh, directing Paul in his journeys and where to go. You know, when we read, when we get to 11 We see how it was the Holy Spirit that guided them, you know, and that's the same thing with us. That's how we want our uh, lives to be lived out. We want to be listening uh, for Jesus to tell us what to do. We want to know that it's the Holy Spirit that's uh, helping us do the tasks that Jesus has directed us to do, you know, and to walk in that way. So, really, the things haven't changed from the way that Paul was guided. Uh, perhaps he was just better singularly focused, you know, than than we are. Uh, probably many of us haven't spent our time in Arabia or Tarsus to get to that place of just being focused on the work of the kingdom, you know, and doing what he's called us to do, which you know Jesus promised, you know, do the work of the kingdom, and I will then add. Everything else, you stay focused on the work of the kingdom. I'll add the rest. Don't even worry about it. Mm-hmm. And we got to believe that the I'll add the rest. <laughs> we have to really believe, you know, to to have that singular focus.
0: Well, and we tend to do it backwards. Sure. You know, we tend to say, okay, yeah. once get I'm me settled here, in my yeah, job and have I'll a family,
1: the then I'll then I'll live for you, Jesus. That's what I'll do.
0: <laughs> then I will. Or uh, just get me here and get me through this, get me here. And once I'm settled in, then I'll take the rest. Yeah. yeah Instead I'm... of allowing God to take the rest, I'll handle the rest. It's no, God, I'll handle the rest. And then we're, we're stuck in this Right, this idea of why are we struggling so much? Well,
1: You almost think you're going to hear a voice that says, you can't handle the
0: rest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Even if we did, what would we do with it?
1: We don't we wouldn't know. Without God, we don't have a clue.
0: We don't. But Without
1: God, we're going to focus on ourselves and ourselves only and do whatever feels good, do whatever makes us look good. That's all we're going to do.
0: But what's our natural reaction to somebody telling us we can't do something? Rebel.
1: If it's if it's something we want to do, we're like, "Oh yeah, I can." If it's something we don't really want to do anyway, we'll just say it's stupid. I'm not going to do that.
0: Yeah. And either way, <laughs> Taking control it's of it's all that, about yeah, me, either way. Taking control of that ends us nowhere, and and we've gotten to see that. I mean, firsthand. Well, that's all the time we have for this week, and we thank you so much for joining us and just being a part of this in faith family. We ask that you uh, join us again next week as we continue out Paul's journey. And if you haven't already, and you want to receive notifications of when new episodes post. Um, wherever you stream your podcast, go ahead and follow the channel before we end this episode. I just want to give everybody listening, anybody listening who just doesn't feel that they're right with God or haven't come to God yet, haven't proclaimed Jesus as their Lord and savior to just repeat this prayer along with me. So Lord Jesus, I confess my sins and ask for your forgiveness. Please come into my heart as my Lord and Savior. Take complete control of my life and help me walk in your footsteps daily by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your free gift of salvation and for answering my prayers. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name.